Hare Krishna. Welcome to Sankirtan On, where by giving we grow. This is your host, Ananamaroya Das. And today I am so excited to share with you the conversation that I have with my very dear friend, Harsham. He's based in the Chicago area where he runs a beautiful center called the Chicago Sanctuary, where they have weekly programs and kirtans, as well as a very thriving Thoughtful Thursdays online program. I've known Harsham for many years, actually, and together we discuss the evolution of Sankirtan in his life, uh, how he came into the fold of Sankirtan, and how his understanding and approach to Sankirtan has changed throughout the years of his interacting with the service. And though it's a conversation about his experience with the service, I feel that many of us will be able to see ourselves in the dialogue, especially in the principles that are brought out in this conversation in regards to maturing as members of Mahaprabhu's movement. How am I internalizing the principles and the practices that we've been given? This conversation was very valuable to me. I hope you also find just as much value in it for yourself. We would love to hear from you. What are topics that you would like to hear more of? Who are people that you'd like to hear from? Uh, Sangertonon is a growing uh, podcast. We have a team of dedicated devotees that are trying our best to really share things that are inspiring about the process of Sankirtan, bringing that good news to the world so that more and more of us can have the opportunity and feel the inspiration to taste the nectar that is being offered by Mahaprabhu Sankirtan movement, by being able to take part in that. So we would love to hear from you. You can email us with the contact information in the description. We'd love to hear about what you would like to be to, to hear about. Other than that, please subscribe, share with your friends, share the inspiration, anything that you find good in this, please share it with others. Hare Krishna, welcome to San Kirtanan. This is your host, Anandamurari Das, and I'm here with my very dear friend, Harisham. Uh, I've known Harisham for many years. Uh, we live together at various times in our life, and uh, I've always grown exponentially, actually, in his association, uh, primarily because of not only his encouragement and loving nature, but also the questions that he asks. Uh, I always find very insightful and, and prodding in a good way. And uh, But now we're switching roles. I'm going to be asking questions and, uh, and diving into a conversation about the evolution of Sankirtan, specifically in his life. Um, he's done book distribution for many, many years, um, as well as most recently uh, heading up a very successful uh, preaching program out in Chicago. Um, he runs a center there called the Chicago Sanctuary, uh, where he takes care of a few men, and they have weekly programs. And so I felt inspired to have him on and uh, and speak about all these things that have been going on for him. So thank you, Harsham, for being here with us. And a bigger thank you from my side, because I always uh, run after any opportunity to spend more time with Ananda Murari. So whatever excuse it takes. <laughs> well, you don't have to run too fast because I'm I'm waiting for it. I'm ready to I'm ready for you to catch me at nice. every minute of the day. So, so let's dive in. Let's if you want to. I gave kind of a you know a general description of kind of your experience in the movement of Mahabharata, sure. but kind of maybe give a little background. Where where are you coming from? What's a little bit of like how you got to be? Sure. Yeah. So. <clears throat> 
So first of all, I should just tell you guys how I came to Krishna consciousness because I feel like that in itself is the great mercy of the Sankirtan movement because it really shows you how the idea of Sankirtan, which is to somehow bring souls in contact with the source of reality, can take on such a, a variety of forms and shapes. So I was 24 years old, working in Chicago as a television producer, had graduated a couple of years earlier from Notre Dame with a degree in economics and film production, and had this dream of someday becoming a documentarian, a filmmaker, an editor, director, and was sort of pursuing my dream by working in commercial television, but was starting to hit, I think, a point that a lot of devotees hit in their life where everything materially seems to be okay, but there's something, there's like this gaping hole in the heart and you're like, man, I, I, I have everything I thought I'd need to be happy. Like in, in your case, you were at the University of Arizona, a musician with beautiful long dreadlocks, popular. Everything was great, but then there was something missing and you were drawn to the to the devotees because although materially everything seemed fine, there was this vacuum in our hearts. So I had that vacuum in my heart and I did what everyone should do in America when they have heart vacuum, which is go shopping. And I bought my first car. <laughs> and I bought my first car, which is a really nice car, Nissan Maxima sports model v8 engine the, the the works and after two weeks of buying this car i'm on the phone with my mom going gosh mom like why am i so unhappy in life <laughs> she was like that's not like you i was like yeah i know it's not like me i've been a pretty optimistic happy person most of my life and so she said i got, I got a solution why don't you take your car for a car puja and get it blessed <laughs> and i thought to myself here we go indian mothers and their indian solutions to problems to real problems and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. And she was like, I'm your mother. I remember these exact words. I'm your mother. And I'm telling you to get a car puja. So you better get a car puja. And I was like, geez. So I had on my court board in my living room a card to the Temple Sunday Feast in Chicago with a picture of Prabhupada. I still remember it was like these old cards that were designed in the 80s probably and were still being used 22 years later. <laughs> You would, you would receive that at a previous date. I had actually, it, mysteriously enough, I had gotten that card years ago when I first moved to Chicago from Jai Jagannath himself on the streets. Really? I didn't I didn't remember this at all. I just knew I had this card on my wall and I had a Gita of Prabhupada in my house. I didn't know where the Gita came from or how the card came into my house until one night I had a dream where I was back on that street, walking down the street as this smiling, effulgent African-American brahmacharya in saffron holds out the Gita and a card to me and I just grab it and I say, what is this? And he's like, it's the Bhagavad Gita, something, something. I forget what he said, but I remember not even giving him a donation. <laughs> and I just walked away with the book and the card. And then in that dream that night, I saw the face of the person who gave it to me was Jai Jagannath. Anyway, so long well, story I mean, short. So I'm sorry, I'm, the, all the years I've known you, I've never heard that aspect. Of yeah, I, I I guess I never told you, but it was, it was, it happened literally in 2007 when I first moved to Chicago. No, 2006 when I first moved to Chicago that summer. Yeah. And then, and this is now 2009, December, when I'm having my existential wow, crisis. That's amazing. I bought my car. So three years later, and you know, and during this time, I was reading Prabhupada's Gita, but like not reading it as you, most people read. It was like a verse every now and again. The only thing I got from three years of reading the Gita on my own was Prabhupada writes in the first chapter that religion without philosophy is mental mm. speculation and philosophy without religion is um, fanaticism. Yeah. And when I read that, it just explained so much to me. I said, yeah, this is why you have religious fundamentalists. And it's why you have people who just follow rote religion and just do things mechan mechanically. It just made so much sense, that one statement. Then I found out later on it was by Srila Bhakti Siddhanta. But that was the only thing I could capture from three years of reading the Gita on my own. Anyways, I had this card. And so I decided, all right, this is a temple. I'll show up. 
and I didn't know anything. I just showed up on a Thursday morning around 10 or 11 o'clock because I had, with my new Nissan Maxima, red, black, black, black and uh, I, I didn't, you know, I, I had the kind of job where like you could show up late as long as you got your work done. So it was like a Thursday morning, 10 or 11 o'clock. I'm in the back of the temple room by Prabhupada's Murti and Jai Jagannath comes up to me and he goes, do you have any questions? And I go, yes, I do. I said, who here worships cars? <laughs> That's literally what I said. So who here is in charge of worshiping cars? He's like, no one, because we don't worship cars. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I, I have a car outside. I'll give you some money. You break a coconut, say some prayers, and I'll be out of here. You know, do a car puja for me. And he was just like, we don't we don't worship cars here. We worship Krishna. He's the supreme personality of God. And he pointed like that at the altar. Very like Jai Jagannath-like, you know, pointing at the altar. Yeah. And I thought to myself, who is this personality? And I said, yeah, but you know, it's my duty as a son to follow the instructions of my mother who has told me to get a car puja. And, uh, you know, it's Jai Jagannath. You can't win an argument with Jai Jagannath. So he basically <laughs> smashed me and then trampled a few times and, and did it very lovingly. For 45 minutes, I got a lecture on what is my real duty in life. And my real duty in life is He literally said that to me six or seven times in the conversation that you have to surrender to Krishna. You have to become Krishna conscious. That is the goal of life. That is the purpose of our existence. And that is your only real duty. And because of what I was going through in my life, I felt like that inner vacuum. I didn't realize this until much later, but everything he said just went right in like a hot knife into cold butter. It went right in and it just made sense. And then I asked him, I said, so what, am, what the hell am I supposed to do with my car now? Because you've convinced me that you're not going to worship it and we shouldn't worship cars. And the goal of life is to be something, you know, very different from what I thought the goal of life was. It's like, just use your car to go to work and come to the temple. And literally that's what happened about in about a month's time. I was so attracted that he told me as I was leaving, go home and read Bhagavad Gita. Come back if you have any questions. So the, for the first time, I went home and I actually read the Prabhupada's Gita from the introduction onwards. And I kept a notebook and I had a ton of questions. Mm. I wrote down so many questions, you know, because now I was reading it under the guidance of a devotee. A devotee had instructed me. So the Gita opened up a little bit and was revealing to me, you know, new mat, new new realities. And so I went back to the temple and I remember Jai Jagannath was doing something. Some devotee came up to his room and said, someone's here looking for you. He has questions about the Gita. And Jai Jagannath was like, okay, here we go. I wonder who it is. He, he never in his wildest dreams thought it was me because he said, I've given that speech to so many Indians. No one came back in eight years. No one came back. And he said, so when I saw you, I was like, whoa, he came back. And then we sat down. I had a ton of questions. He answered all my questions. And then I just went back a couple of days later with more questions and more questions and then Jai Jagannath said, why don't I teach you the Shastra? Well, I'll teach you Ishapanishad. We'll start from Ishapanishad. And I didn't know the, what Bhakti Shastri is. You know, I just had a ton of questions. And he was, and so one-on-one, -on -one, he started teaching me Ishapanishad. Wow. And anyways, that led to my increasing interest in Krishna consciousness. The rest of what happens is pretty familiar to everyone. You come to the Bhatta Bhakti, you hear about Krishna, you hear the philosophy, you meet the devotees, you eat lots and lots of prasadam. Actually, I didn't eat so much prasadam. I really wasn't a prasadam bhakta because I was super into health. I used to work out every single day and eat like very healthy food. So for me, prasadam was a bit of an austerity. Please forgive me, Krishna, for saying this, but I really had a hard time with prasadam <laughs> because it was usually quite oily. It was too rich. It was a lot of white rice. And I, I'm not into puris and all of us. <laughs> You know, I my my nectar was Jai Jagannath speaking Krishna Kata. I could sit with him for uh, one time. We read CC for six hours in the beginning of my Krishna consciousness, and that to me was like ODing on halva. You know, just sitting there and hearing from him for hours and hours and asking questions. And he would sit in his room late at night and listen to Ayendra Prabhu's classes. I was a young kid; I didn't know anything, but he loved Ayendra, so he would play Ayendra's classes 
late at night in the Chicago temple upstairs when everything was, you know, gone to, everyone had gone to sleep. And it would just be me and him chilling after like, you know, doing, washing some pots or hearing some, having some katha. And we would just be chilling, listening to Ayindra Prabhu for a little bit before I went back home and then to work the next day. So as I progressed in my spiritual life and, and my aspiration to hear more and more grew, I started taking on more service and I started offering more service and I started asking Jajana for practical instructions on how to use my life and time and the money that I was making. And one of the instructions I got, one of the inspirations slash instructions I got early on was to get involved with a little bit of book distribution. And this was my first foray into Sankirtan is between my lunch breaks at work. I worked about a seven minute walk from the heart of downtown Chicago. And I would leave work during my lunch break and stand at the corner of State and Randolph and just distribute books for maybe an hour. And and this was this was really ecstatic. And and for me in the beginning, Sankirtan or book distribution, which is all the the idea of Sankirtan for me was just book distribution. It was a very narrow definition, and it it really was about just going out and trying to convince people and argue with people because I was hearing so much philosophy, <laughs> and and my identity as a devotee was still sort of formulating. So I hadn't fully solidified that self identification as a sadhaka. Mm-hmm. So for me, Sankirtan was really a means of going out and trying to convince as many people as possible that they were wrong, they were an illusion. I wasn't fanatical about it. I was polite, but if they challenged me, I had really good arguments, you know. And I really thrived, especially in arguing with Christians and atheists. Because I would read, and, and whenever I couldn't crush an argument, I would go back to Jajan and I'd be like, so-and-so said like this. And he would be like, then you say like this. And so then I would go back out and I would wait for so-and-so to use this argument. Then I would say this argument. So in the beginning, my book, I didn't get a lot of books out, as you can tell. <laughs> it was, I've always been more into conversations on Sankirtan than book distribution. I mean, I love getting the books out and getting a donation. But, you know, it was always for me about making a connection. And um, I remember in the beginning, sometimes traveling book distributors would mildly chastise me or correct me saying, what is, what is your two minutes of preaching going to do? You know, like, why are you spending so much time talking to people? You should just give them a book. If they're not going to take a book, say goodbye. Like you should know within the first 10 seconds, who's going to take a book or not. If they're not going to take a book, don't waste your time. And, And this used to discourage me a little bit because I've always been very conversational and I've always been into like connect, cultivating a connection. And plus, remember in the beginning, I was really just going on book distribution to flex my philosophical muscles. I wanted to impress and show people how much I'd learned from these books and how many ideas I had from these books. And so when I told you, I shouldn't have to remember, like they're saying, what is your two minutes of preaching going to do? And he said, well, my two minutes of preaching will keep me inspired. So it's doing something. <laughs> and so I just took that to heart. And so for me in the very beginning, Sankirtan was just something that I was inspired to do and I was mildly, you know, told to do to keep myself busy, which was to go out and just, you know, distribute books. And and I was really using it as a way to kind of solidify my understanding of the Krishna conscious philosophy, to to come up against people who didn't believe in what I believed in, didn't agree with what I believed in. And I had to, and then I used my intelligence to convince them that no, no, this is very logical, rational. And even if they weren't convinced, I felt like I was becoming more and more convinced. Yeah. Until you know, I, I, I finally quit my job and then I moved moved into the... Should I, should I continue? Like, or do you have well, a question? Because now it's the next stage of my yeah, Sankirtan yeah. evolution. I just wanted, I wanted to interject. I was, sure. I was excitingly... I was very, like, excited about this conversation because I was anticipating the... Uh, f- the yeah, the familiarity that many devotees may have with this kind of story, especially yeah. how the evolution of Sangerton in their lives... Yeah. For instance, like, you know, I, this is a whole other aspect where he would receive that Bhagavad Gita. I don't know if I had heard that part of the story, but I don't think I've ever told you this before. Yeah, I, I knew that you went for the car puja and I knew yeah. like kind of things beyond that. But 
just the the relationship with Sangerton that we that you received a book, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then the kind of the the relationship that you had then with Bhagavad Gita, kind of on your own, yeah. and then then the after interacting with the devotee, and actually you know, kind of getting some instruction from that devotee, being engaged in some bhajana kriya, right? Now yeah. You're, now you're studying under some some instruction, some guidance, right? And then how that service of Sankirtan, the relationship with it automatically changed, right? Then it became mm. this expression of you trying to, well, you really, you know, flexing your newfound faith mm. and experience in this philosophy. And I, I can very much relate. I remember when I, when I was, you know, first joining, I had, uh, I had left Flagstaff, Arizona, where I was living with a few of the devotees and I got on a bus to Chicago because mm-hmm. I had had this desire from somewhere like oh I would like to learn how to distribute books because we had been doing Harinam in Flagstaff Arizona and I was you know really into Harinam that was like our thing mm-hmm. and you know there's a few times like we had some Gitas out and the people are like oh what is this all about and I tried to like oh here's a Bhagavad Gita you should read it I was like just beginning to read the Bhagavad Gita but they weren't really interested in it. And so I remember coming home that evening, I'm like, I'd like to learn how to distribute books. Mm. Lo and behold, a few weeks later, some book distributors that we, you know, that the devotees I was living with knew called. They're like, hey, we have some space in the van. I ended up going mm. to Chicago. I think that's when we first met. Mm. You know, I, I landed in Chicago on a bus and then went around the country distributing books at music festivals and things like that. I'm, I'm sharing all that because I can relate to the experience of forging and affirming my newfound faith in a very meaningful way through yeah. conversation with others yeah being able to being able to share very directly what it was that i was experiencing mm. and i think i think for me that's that has been a consistent you know essential experience of sangerton talking about how sangerton is evolving yeah right but that very much has has been you know, uh, a, a consistent flagpole, so to speak, of like yeah. my Sangerton experience. And and it changes because what I'm experiencing is also changing. But the essence of mm. Sangerton is that I'm sharing what I'm experiencing. Yeah. And I can do that actively. It solidifies those experiences more immediately. Right. Right. Like yeah, because, I, because, I, because I feel like in the beginning, um, the Sankirtan is more for our benefit than hardly anybody else's. I mean, I yes, if some people get the time, I think yeah, the majority of our experience is definitely. And then, you know, if some people get a book, if they get to hear the Holy name and they get to hear a little bit of Krishna conscious philosophy, that's fantastic. But I really do feel like in the beginning, it was literally like 98% for my benefit and 2% for the benefit of another human being. And another evolution of Sankirtan in my life has just been the changing of those ratios yeah. as, as, as I found other sources of inspiration and nourishment, and my desire to engage in Sankirtan is being driven more and more by like people are suffering and they need this knowledge and they need Krishna in their life. So that'll come later, of course. But yeah, th- thank you for thank you for recognizing and really fleshing out that idea that, yes, it's something that our faith grows a lot when we get to talk about Krishna with others. And Prabhupada says it himself so many times, right? The perfection is, you know, first you hear and then Kirtanam, then you talk about it. And so when you talk about what you're hearing, it has a way of solidifying and becoming more real for you. And especially also being challenged, isn't it? Like being questioned in your faith. Like I've had occasions where people are like, are you really happy with this Krishna thing? You know, and then 
like you you, you kind of like sh- get shaken for a moment yeah. you have to ask yourself am i happy like am i you know and so it's easy to not ask ourselves those questions right we're kind of in the fervor of of discovery and growth yeah and we're like young and like everything's great highball you yeah. know you know what i was thinking of too i was just remembering kind of on a practical level i remember that for those first few months that i was distributing bar, you know books and music festivals and i remember having read the second verse of Shrimad Bhagavatam, that this Shrimad Bhagavatam completely kicks out all cheating religions, you know, which are materially motivated. And that whole verse, I memorized that whole verse, and that was my book distribution line. Right? And, and then, then in the Bhagavad Gita, in the soft paperback Bhagavad Gita's, they have the picture of Vyasadeva, which, which quotes 1515, right? And I would, I would recite that, to to kind of demonstrate for people this was written in sanskrit so yeah. just even even on a practical level how i learned shastra by mm. sharing shastra by sharing shastra and you know for a young person that's our best outlet because we're not going to be giving classes or teaching bhakti shastri yeah. Yeah, but we can read in the day and then go out of the afternoon i remember your guru Maharaj once came to chicago and he he actually told that that's a strategy to to memorize lines from purports and then recite them and he yeah. gave us an example of you know the famous first canto purport Prabhupada says this is this is knowledge separated. Uh, from, this is that's the that's the verse. I was uh, how does it go? Yeah, yeah. And separated how does the translation go? Um, yeah, I separate from the illusion. Threefold miseries of material existence and right uh, by uh, illusion all, separated from darkness. Something like that is all like and vaguely. I mean, I'm not. I don't have people such a good at home are like, this is what it is. You know, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they got it pulled up already. The little kids are reciting it. Yeah, but he was, and that's a strategy. Is where you memorize sections of Prabhupada's books and you just go out and repeat that on Sankirtan. So, of course, and then many years later, we start to internalize these things and we realize, whoa, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's nice to repeat, but it's also nice to experience. So you were at the point of, of your, you know, you're about to move into the temple, it sounded like, like your, your relationship. With- yeah. So as, as my taste for bhakti grew and my disinterest in material life increased and I decided I wanted to be a brahmachari, as every young man starts out in Krishna unconscious thing, I want to be a monk for the rest of my life, you know, yeah, um, the, the temple management in Chicago kindly facilitated that transition. So I was able to leave my, my job. Moved into the temple as a monk, got a religious I, I was, visa. I'm actually curious, what was that like for your job? Like, did were people like, you know, my bot, my everybody was super supportive. And I told my boss that I'm leaving to go become a monk. He was like, you know, he started telling me his own story of how he once considered becoming a, a like a, a missionary in his re- Christian tradition. It's it's funny how many people I've met in the professional world, even recently now that I've left the ashram and I'm you know going to school and meeting professionals, who have some sort of connection with with spirituality. You know, I, I met a lady just two weeks ago who a very big, very wealthy millionaire, private equity investor, runs her own hedge fund, and she grew up in a Siddha Yoga ashram, which was a, a, a branch of Muktananda Swami, his his operation. I mean, he was found out later on to be a bit devious and corrupt. That's another point. But the point is her parents were his disciples. And so she grew up in a Siddha Yoga ashram. So she was very familiar with the idea of like monastic life, mm. disciplined living, things like that. So it's interesting how many people have come across in the professional world who have had their own explorations with with spirituality but no they were very they were very open and very happy to hear that i have a plan because he was telling me he's like should i write recommendations for you to find a job somewhere else i was like no no i'm not i'm not looking for a job somewhere else i'm, I'm not checking out for a while again <laughs> yeah I was, that's what I was like i was like i was like i'm gonna be a monk i'm gonna you know yeah like that so then i moved into the temple and my main service was book distribution and I developed a real attachment to the service. I would go out almost every single day by myself because there were hardly any brahmacharis in Chicago. And so I would go by myself for many hours of the day and I would just talk to people. And I, 
at this point was when I started transitioning a little bit from just going out to try to like conquer people philosophically to realizing that I got to build connections, you know, and I started to become more aware of the fact that, you know, no one likes their ego being hurt. And I remember the turning point was when I met a Buddhist and I was arguing with the Buddhist because he ate meat. He told me he was a Buddhist. And the first question I asked him was, well, do you eat meat? And he said, of course I eat chicken. And I said, but the first thing that Buddha taught was ahimsa. And so he tried in very clever ways to justify eating meat and being a Buddhist. But I kept like point blank pointing out that how can you call yourself a follower of Buddha as a Buddhist and break his cardinal rule to, to not have violence towards other, other beings. And so he finally just gave up and said, well, you know what? I like it and I'm not going to stop. And I said, thank you for that honest opinion. You know, thank you for that honest reflection. And we just left it at that. So I remember after that conversation, I was like, you know what, this isn't working. Like if I want to inspire people with the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the holy names, I have to change my strategy a little bit. It's fun to argue with people and defeat them, but um, it's probably better to, to be kind and to appreciate what they have to offer. So I remember those two and a half years of training in the Brahmacharya Ashram were my like sort of mellowing out phase so that after that, when I had an opportunity to either go back to sort of material life, back to job, working and stuff, I actually took up the chance of traveling as a missionary. And I was basically traveling throughout North America. This was, I was a bit of a rebel. Under the guidance of my spiritual master, I, I purposefully didn't align myself with any particular... See, this is... Okay, so another thing I should mention now is that also my idea of Sankirtan started to expand at this point. And I realized that actually, you know, for me, the definition of Sankirtan was, you know, when you go out, but you combine book distribution with Harinam. Mm. And so I wasn't able to really find a program that did that without being, um, how do I put it uh, politically correctly, um, where I didn't feel like I was going to be forced to believe a certain ideology. I'm a very moderate person, and I just don't believe in extremes. I don't like when people think, well, I only distribute books, and this is the best way to do Sankirtan, or I only go out on Harinam, and this is the best way to do Sankirtan, or we only do both, and everybody else who doesn't do both is basically in Maya. You know, so I can't live with ex extreme opinions. Yeah. So because I couldn't find like a very moderate Sangha of, of Sankirtan devotees, I just traveled on my own, and I traveled throughout North America. I went to Colombia, Panama, Germany, Mexico, and I would stay in devotee, I would stay in Iskand temples, and I would befriend local devotees, and I would just go out on book distribution, Primarily to keep myself engaged. At this point, Sankirtan became something that I needed to do to keep myself engaged because my Guru Maharaj was, was supposed to, he was going to ask me to come travel with him any day now. That was the plan was eventually I'm going to start traveling more and I'll need an assistant. So just keep yourself a bit free and loose so that, you know, when I'm ready for you, you can come and be with me. But then at some point he said, you know, while you wait, take some responsibility in the Sankirtan mission. So talk to Vaisheshika Prabhu and Vaisheshika Prabhu encouraged me to move to Denver or think about exploring Denver as an option because it's got a lot of nice young devotees. So at this point, I moved to Denver and Denver really was a turning point in my in my in my approach to Sankirtan, because for the first time, thanks to you, I saw a thriving college program. And I began to see that, yes, it's not, it's, it's fun to go out on book distribution, have public harinams. But when you have a, a space that is consistently being held every week that offers people a chance to connect with Krishna in a very non sort of sectarian kind of way, in a very laid back, friendly, joyful sort of way. It's a very powerful strategy in Sankirtan. And I remember that for me was an eye-opening experience. And then of course my visits to the Bhakti Center in New York. And I started to, my, my understanding of Sankirtan began to evolve. It was no longer about just going out and meeting people on the streets and inspiring them with books or just having a public harinam. But it was really about now, how do you cultivate a, a regular space? How do you cultivate a regular program that is 
not like a Sunday feast, which is geared mostly for devotees with some elements of, are you new here for the first time? Here's a book for you. You know, some tiny elements of like welcoming a new person, but mostly it's a devotee thing, right? We don't explain the RTs. We don't explain much of what's going on. But then when I saw your program in Fort Collins, and then I visited Bhakti Center a few times, and I saw Thursday Night Kirtan, I saw how they do their outreach, I realized there is, I need to understand how devotees hold space on a regular basis for people who have not yet signed up for the bhakti path, for the bhakti program, you know, and this is a science. This must be learned and understood. My understanding of Sankirtan began to evolve because I was coming from a very narrow, conservative, like sort of perspective that it just means to go out and distribute books or do Harinam in public to now, like it's about intelligently and strategically creating a space where people who are just mildly interested or even not at all interested can feel welcome. And that's an art, right? And and, and honestly, I... The, all the credit goes to you for first introducing me to that concept of of what that looks like, right? I remember those programs in Fort Collins where you were able to hold space for people like Haley, who are like ready to chant every day, to like some guy who just walks off, right? Um, just walks into your program and has no idea what it is, but he felt welcome, yeah. right? He felt excited. So this was the next evolution in Sankirtan in my personal life. I'll, I'll pause for a second to see if you have anything you want to add. Well, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, two things are going on for me. One thing is just uh, fond memories of, of that section of life. Cause I, I remember myself too, at that time, I was in the midst of my own transition. I had just moved out of the ashram when you moved to Denver. Yeah. And so we like, we were living as bachelors for a little bit, you know, which was great. Um, <laughs> but, but just kind of the Sangerton, what I'm seeing this as like this Sangerton in the form of longevity. Mm. Right. And, and for me, um, that's kind of how I entered, right? Like it's, it's interesting that that's, you know, you entered through meeting a devotee, giving you a book. I actually entered through a space like that. Like we had the Bhakti vine, my godbrother Amrita Nam had a, mm. had a center in Flagstaff for a minute called the Bhakti vine. And, and that's what that was. It was a mm. space of, of little pressure and, and, maximum inspiration of like what bhakti could be for you and, and, mm-hmm. and how you could take something and put it into your life so that was just the model right and then then i had gone into the model of book distribution and and uh but even i remember as i was traveling on book distribution for those three months i had this desire that i want to be i wanted to be in a temple i wanted to be in one place i will i love traveling but i wanted to be in one place where i was cultivating these relationships. I couldn't necessarily articulate that. But, yeah, but. It, it, it's, it's in hindsight. When you look back, you realize this is what I was craving. I also don't, I didn't have this clarity as I was going through the experience. It's only later on when I juxtaposed my contrasting experience one after the next and what I chose to do yeah. that I said, oh, this is what was happening to me during that time. Yeah. But when we're going through it, we can't see it so clearly, right? Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah and I'm, I'm appreciating that, that, that program that we had going, that it, that it, inspired that even in hindsight yeah. because it was that that for me has really been uh a major motivator it's that long you know and and I, the other day actually we had um we ended up here in uh where i'm, where I'm living in ypsilanti we had a we had a program mm. about an hour away and then mm. the program was no one really showed up at the program but then there was also an art fair going on so we decided to just do like a kind of a spontaneous Harinam at the art fair. Mm-hmm. And right after we did our little four-person Harinam, then two book distributors came. And you need that sometimes. You need that kind of yeah. like, 
just yeah. going into the fire and like getting books out, getting getting people. It's so ecstatic. I, yeah. I honestly like it's so much fun, especially at these big cultural art fairs. I have fond memories of just going out with a big book bag and coming back empty and having yeah. killer conversations. Of course, it's book distribution is super ecstatic. You know, yeah. any and form then, of and then, ecstatic. And then the the this form of sangeeton, the longevity. That you know, mm. there's a better word that I'm looking for. Uh, consistency maybe like a consistent space uh, uh, yeah, uh I, I want a word like longevity but yeah i like longevity. <laughs> but let's hope it's long right yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's hope there's longevity <laughs> well, the last thing you know the last thing kind of uh, continuous space consistent space like you said um i'm just appreciating that so yeah please please go on yeah so anyways as i as when, after that experience in denver um when I, I went on another last trip to, I believe, Colombia to do book distribution. Because at this point now, I I feel like what was happening to me internally was I developed a real taste for cultivating relationships on the streets. In fact, I used to tell myself my office is the street. And I'd become very good at becoming friends with people no matter where I was and making connections and taking their numbers. And I was reading with some of these new people. So I was, you know, from in the early days, being very in, ineffective at cultivating relationship to now becoming more and more effective and affective, so to speak, right? And, and getting a real taste for that. So I was in Colombia, you know, to visit a dear friend and also do and book distribution. Um, when I got a call from the town president in Chicago, asking me if I would come back to Chicago and start a preaching center. And I took it really as Krishna's mercy as like a sign from above that, okay, this must be the next step, right? Like somehow Krishna must recognize that, okay, you're ready for facility. You're ready to be given responsibility facility. And she had two young men who were in her community that didn't have anybody taking care of them. Um, she was, and, and, you know, she was ready to provide like everything financially and uh, like materially speaking. So we went for it. You know, I, I moved to Chicago in 2019 and we were given this three bedroom townhouse, which we started refurb refurbing to create uh, a sort of Bhakti Center-esque space where we could host programs on a weekly basis. And we made, as everyone knows, we made a floor out of clay, the 600 square foot clay floor, it's like, amazing. you know, with made from mud, like Brindavan style, you know, oh, like Andrew's oh, room. And we we kind of spent, I, I mean, I personally spent a lot of time with this one devotee, Subal Prabhu and his wife, um, you know, going to antique stores and, and really picking out like aesthetically pleasing items, you know, an altar and art. And Rupa Swami was very kind enough to lend us. He makes that clear to me jokingly every time he sees me. He's like, I've lent you my art. He he lent us all these really beautiful paintings from his his budget Gutier in Brooklyn when he moved from Brooklyn. So we have some really amazing original artwork in our living room. And so you know, we, it took us a few months. This is 2019. It took us a few months to get the place going. We had our first couple of programs and, um, without going into the history of that too much, but basically something happened starting with the letter C something, and something the world, something happened. minor happened in the world, which put a lot of our programming to halt, especially in person. And so beginning in, in March of 2020, we decided to start an online program called Thoughtful Thursdays. And with myself and Achuta Gotrapubu, your godbrother, he was in charge of marketing and going on Instagram because at that point, everybody was on social media looking for outlets to maintain their mental health. And um, so what I'm doing right now is I'm just defining what we're doing before I go into the depth of like how this evolved and affected me and how this supported me in my own personal yeah, journey. But we started Thoughtful Thursdays as a weekly program and the format sort of came about spontaneously. I decided, I don't know how, but probably inspired by my Guru Marge actually, that I would open every program with a guided meditation, 15 minutes of guided meditation. And then either I would speak, Achuta Gotra would speak, or we would invite like senior devotees to come and give talks, but primarily keeping the focus 
on um, new people, right? On people who are just very new to spiritual life. And I got this strategy from the Bhakti Center. They have this wonderful idea of a funnel where you keep the doors really wide open. And as people become more inspired, you funnel them into book clubs. So that was our strategy was we would start out keeping the door as wide as possible, right? And so, and that takes a certain directional readjustment. It means allowing people to say things like, we're all one, for instance, and not getting our devotee samskars all worked up by that, you know, and a desire to just like crush that idea immediately. You know what I'm saying? Like hearing certain things that for us are like, oh my God, like close your ears. You know, it's like hearing a curse word and just allowing them to speak those things and just, you know, letting it be. We don't have to, uh, we don't have to, what what do I say? Um, We don't have to, uh, the word I'm looking for is like, you know, when you stamp your approval on something, what is oh, that word that I'm looking for? To, uh... I, I don't have to condone it. Uh, yeah. In other words, um, I don't have to uh, uphold it. I don't have to say like, yes, yes, this is the truth. But I also don't have to crush it because yeah. this person doesn't know much yet and they're just coming new. They're, so They're saying the best thing they've heard. They're saying the best thing they've heard and they want to sound spiritual. That's kind of how I look at it. So this was... The strategy we had that we got from the Bhakti Center of keeping the funnel really big and wide and then funneling them into book clubs. And it, it's been working really well. You know, we have a Bhagavad Gita book club. We have a Journey Home book club. We have Spiritual Warrior book clubs. We've had a few people who are, you know, uh, chanting regularly. And, and we have one person now who's living in Gita Nagari with, with Vinod Kovida and his partner. And so it's working. It, it's it, the strategy. And also my own abilities to teach meditation and, and to help people have an experience of spirituality has evolved so much as a result of this consistent weekly program. And also just what it takes to maintain a weekly program. There's times when it's just like, gosh, again, you know, we have to do this again. But it's when you commit to something that you don't have the natural capacity for, it forces you to become more prayerful. It forces you to become more reliant on mercy. And I'm so grateful to the amazing number of wonderful advanced devotees like yourself, so many Prabhupada disciples who have come to Thoughtful Thursdays, given us their time and energy. And I think sometimes felt quite inspired by this space we've created because I get emails afterwards from them saying like, this is a really nice space and they spontaneously offer advice on how to help this community grow. We're now planning our first retreat. So I guess here's what I'm trying to say now. For me, now that I look back at Thoughtful Thursdays and what was this space and what made this space come about, what is the underlying force? Um, The underlying force behind this experience was the cultivation of trust. So I think for me now, Sankirtan has evolved into something where where you want to help people gain trust in you and devotees in general so that you know, when we start discussing spiritual subject matters, um, they're more inclined because they have some faith. And I realized Prabhupada said this also in a very subtle way by saying, if you want to know who your father is, you simply ask your mother, right? Our process is not one of, you know, people experimenting for decades and decades and trying every single thing under the sun and using logic and rationale to kind of come to a conclusion. Our process is driven by faith and faith doesn't have to be blind. Faith doesn't have to be like, you know, emotional or or sentimental as sometimes people think it is. The cultivation of faith is a journey and people will cultivate faith in you when they see that time and time again, you've been reasonable, you've been rational, you're coming from a good and well-intentioned space. So when that happens, it's not just blind faith, it's actually reasoned faith. And so I see Thoughtful Thursdays as a place where we help people cultivate reasoned faith in us you know, and on all of us who show up on the program and present the science of spirituality. Because I notice as that happens, they trust us. And so as they have deeper questions about life, when they reach out to me personally on Instagram or send me a voice note on WhatsApp and they want to have answers to the deeper questions of their life. And when I say something, 
it actually goes in and makes a difference. And this is how bhakti should work. You know, bhakti works when we place our faith in devotees and we start receiving what they have to offer. So, and the other evolution of Sankirtan for me was, you know, really understanding and appreciating the value of taking care of devotees, not just people who are becoming interested in spiritual life. In fact, I would say my heart now in Sankirtan is really in taking care of devotees. So to facilitate devotees, what we do is we have really nice kirtan at our house once a week. And, you know, I try to do our best. We invite whoever we can to, to lead the kirtans because I'm not a musician myself. But primarily the bulk of who we invite for those for kirtan nights are the devotees, you know, in our local community who either for whatever reason don't have a sangha to go to or anything like that. Um, and then, of course, we invite some new people also in Chicago who are slowly becoming interested in spiritual life. But I, I, I really like this balance we have going on right now where we have a program for brand new people. Then we have book clubs for those who become serious. And then we have a kirtan night where I really want to create space for devotees to come together and just chant and really offer their hearts to the Holy Name. And I've had some really nice feedback from some devotees who've told me in the past how like coming for our Friday night kirtans is like the highlight of their week because they've had a long week. They've been working really hard, but they come and chant together because I feel like that's a simple formula to developing deep relationships, right? Coming together and chanting the Holy Name. So this is kind of where I am at in my evolution of Sankirtan now is, is holding space for both new people and those who are already committed to the path um, in a way, in, in a format that both sets of individuals can feel satisfied by, right? If, if devotees came to a very new person program, they wouldn't be satisfied. And if very new people were just invited to Kirtan, they haven't heard much Sambandh again, they're not going to be very satisfied, you know? Yeah. And so creating space for both sets of individuals is kind of where I'm at now. I, I'm appreciating, It's I find it very key also that that kind of third program of so you have a, a program that's for brand new people then you have a program that that is bringing people into a more uh, pertinent conversation around philosophy through book clubs right, right. and a program that's geared towards devotees right? yeah but ha- it, it creates an opportunity and an atmosphere for these people that are becoming serious to actually yep. and associate with devotees more. There you go. Exactly. Like our friend Dave Amadov also says, he says, what they need, we need. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So there's this, there is this element of um, what we need as a community of devotees is really what, what other people need too. And what other people need is what we need. We need right. stability. We need friendship. We need connection. We need, we need, ah, you know the 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 satisfaction that comes from you know genuine spiritual experiences and just genuine you know human experiences right that is devotees so being able to have a a space where both of those things can be cultivated and i think too the you know i find this to be in you know a, a deep maturity of and i find too when i hear people give lectures yeah. Right? When when people give lectures and they have the ability to simultaneously speak something that is nourishing for brand new people, yeah, nourishing for devotees that have been practicing for two decades, I find that I find that it's it maybe a bit rare but super powerful. Can I say something on this point? Because I heard something super interesting just last week. I have a very dear friend. His name is Darren. He's a yoga instructor. He's been teaching yoga for twenty six years. And now he comes He comes regularly to our programs and I go to his yoga class in return. So we have this yep. very mutual exchange. Did I go to his yoga class when we were there? In Moksha, at Moksha? Did you come to Moksha with me? I think so. Me and Walker. Did, you go to, did you rise to Moksha? We didn't go to Moksha. <laughs> yeah. 
so so you know he he told me the other day because he's very deep he's studied and practiced a lot so he was telling me how there's three kinds of people now they in the yoga tradition they look at everything or in the modes of nature so it's all about thomas rajas sattva thomas rajas sattva so he said there's people in the mode of ignorance they're mostly interested in information you know and i would say that those are like the new interested people in spiritual life they're mostly like information they like things like oh this word means this and yeah. mind means manas and intelligence means buddhi and krishna is the supreme personality they like this information aspect of things right those in rajas they want to see how information has a practical application so what they're looking for is like what can i get out of it practically and a lot of devotees are like that right they're like they're looking for a take home message yeah. they're looking for like something to apply right after the class right and devotees are encouraged to think like that okay write down your notebook now what is the one practice you're going to evolve take with you after this class right yeah. these are like i would say these are the more people who want who are doing bhajan kriya they want to evolve in their practice the, those in sattva he was saying are interested in the deep meaning behind the practices and the information so they're going to be moved by okay what does this practice and information ultimately lead to so he was saying how when you give a class you should remember to insert three kinds of information you should have some just information you should have practical application and you should talk about the meaning of things at a very deep level and that way what will happen naturally is those who are at that certain level of conscious development will get what they can from their class from that class anyways they won't be able to appreciate everything else you know what i'm saying it's like somebody who has a very undeveloped palate he'll eat like a like a pizza and he'll just be like this is good and then you know with the finer palate say wow these are san marzano tomatoes and then the finest palate is going to be like like you know like wow this pizza was baked at 400 degrees celsius it's got in the air bubbles in a wood fire oven and and then actually no he'll go this reminds me of my grandmother i feel like i'm eating my grandmother's pizza you made me a child again you know at the highest level of development he'll go deep into like memories and experiences and feelings so you know that's the art of of speaking to different levels of people is making sure that you have all three levels covered information practical application and meaning you know, that's so really when he said nice. that to me, I was, I was like, wow, Darren, this is this is deep. I'm going to use that for the rest of my life. That's a really <laughs> nice takeaway you just gave us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but in, in, take with you. In, all, in all seriousness, that um, I, and I think that's the that's the art of Sankirtan also. Yeah, it's, you know, I think in our, you know, looking again in hindsight, in our interactions with people on, you know, just in distributing books, like how am I communicating all, on to all three of these levels, right? Maybe not everyone's ready for like, you know, the communication that, but it's gonna happen automatically because they're looking at someone who's, who's supposed to be practicing what is inside this book. Right. This is to whatever degree that I've fructified as a devotee, this is what this knowledge leads to that I'm handing you right yeah. so and then and then practically how does the person feel in that interaction right mm -hmm. and then and then you're giving them more information right so i think inevitably i'm i'm happy about this <laughs> inevitably to have good sangirtan we have to uh we have to emit these various types of 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 knowledge and consciousness right in our programs in our book distribution Right. Oh, yeah. It's not so much in words, but if it's this just is, by our character. This is. Thank you so much for bringing the conversation to this point. Um, it's really. Thank you so much, first of all, because this is at the heart. I feel of what Sankirtan is all about. Yeah. It's in a way also what Sheila Andrew talked about in his book, The Heart of Transcendental Book Distribution. Right. Is 
you know, ultimately people are are coming in contact with you as a person, as a representative of the tradition. So how much of the knowledge have you embodied? How many, how much of the realizations that these books talk about have you embodied? Because, you know, once they go past the initial attraction to the philosophy and eating plates and plates of halva, they're going to look at you and they're going to measure you from the lens of what it says in the books. And if they find that, you know, there's too much of a disconnect, like you are over here and the books are over here, they're not going to move forward because they're going to think, well, if this dude who's supposed to be knowing this stuff and practicing this stuff, he is so far removed from what the books talk about, then then what are these books going to do for me? So thank you so much for bringing up this point because yes, you know, and I know sometimes devotees like to quote like, you know, we're just messenger men. We're just posting the letter in the mailbox. I don't know. I, I, and Prabhupada said that. He said, your job is to deliver the message. You know, and I feel like that was a very relevant instruction when devotees were young in the movement. They'd only been practicing for two or three years. And then it makes sense that you're just a mailman, you're just delivering the message. Yeah. But, you know, if after 25 years or 15 years or even 10 years of practice, I don't have, I'm not able to show people my character and my behavior, then I'm trying to embody this wisdom then we have to go back and look at our practice and ask ourselves, am I even practicing properly? Like, am I Thamsatik Shiva Bharata? Am I able to tolerate the dualities of heat and cold? Am I able to see, as Krishna says in the 15th chapter of the Gita, those who are learned, they are able to see this transmigration of the soul and not be bewildered. You know, am I experiencing these things? And, you know, to your beautiful point, this is the next stage of evolution in Sankirtan. It's why I remember one time when devotee was telling me, for he gave the example of one very senior devotee, Prabhupada disciple. He said for his preaching, was shaking someone's hand and saying, hello, I am so-and-so. Actually, it was Bhakti Tirtha Maharaj. Because, because the, his quality and his Vaishnava, his Vaishnavata, his, his Vaishnavata would come out to such a degree that just meeting him and shaking his hand and hearing him say his name was enough to like give you a little faith. You know, it says, Mrigari the hunter. In, in the first moment, it's, I remember reading this somewhere, that when he first met Narada Muni, you know, he was doing what he was doing. But just that initial kind of just seeing Narada Muni was enough to give him the faith to listen to what he had to say next. So when Narada Muni said, just kill them instantly, just that initial contact and appreciation of him as a devotee gave him initial enough faith to just kill them instantly, you know, and repeat the word Mara, Mara, Mara. Just by that initial contact, that initial faith was was born within his heart. So, yeah, I mean, that would be, you know, in this evolution of Sankirtan, as I said in the beginning, it's really... From the very beginning, it's saving us more so than it's saving anybody else. Yeah. And so as we become more and more representatives of the movement, it starts to dawn upon us that if I'm going to go represent Prabhupada's teachings in his movement, I have to embody some of that in my life. It's it's very unique, actually. If you're not going to take an active role in the Sankirtan mission, I feel like the pressure of spiritual evolution is not as intense as when you have to become a face for the movement, yeah. you know, or somebody who represents. The, and that's why I think preaching is such a powerful way to save our souls. You know, because we need whatever we can get to help us go deeper and grow deeper. Yeah. And so when you take on that responsibility of like, okay, I'm going to go out and represent Prabhupada to the world, mm-hmm. right? Then you have to constantly keep asking yourself, you know, how much of this am I really embodying? What a, what a nice, thank you for bringing this up. This is, I feel like this could, this is a kind of, this is something we could talk about for hours. Yeah. Well, and, and just to kind of, in closing, the, the statement as in closing I was like I know, know no, what no, this no. Was. you're like and now just to end the whole thing I think it is we could we could talk about it for hours and for yeah days. yeah of course but no we not, so no one has hours this, so much of this can unfold but yeah I think just going back to Prabhupada's statement of you know being a male you know male a messenger 
It's like, what yeah. does that actually mean? The, the messenger has to be attentive. Am I, you know, just on the, to take the analogy to the extent, am I putting the mail in the right mailbox? Am I like mm. checking the right names? Am I, you know, getting it there on time, mm. right? I also have to be honest. Am I, am I trying to take something from these letters and not, you know, be stingy about it, not actually give what I'm supposed to be giving, right? So, so I don't think, I don't think Prabhupada's statement is, and I don't think this is what you're saying, but Prabhupada's statement of being a mailman is, is an excuse to not be responsible, right? I think it, I think it's, I think it's imperative that we become responsible. I think that's what I, that, that's what I was getting from what you're saying. It's that Mm. The evolution of Sangerton is that we have to step into a role of responsibility to care yeah. for to care for other living entities. Jiva doi Krishna nam sarva dharma sar. Mm. And this is the essence of all dharma, of all religious duty and activity. Right? It started with, you know, it's my duty. I have to get a car puja because my mom told me. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, you yeah. know. Krishna is saying sarva dharma pratija, right? He's saying give up all the dharmas, but then Bhakti no Thakur is saying. Jiva doi Krishna nam sarva dharma sar. That we perform a sankirtan, we take the holy name ourselves, mm. we're giving the holy name to others, and what is sankirtan but giving the holy name? Right? So that's why this, you know, this beautiful combination of, of Harinam and book distribution and, and prashat, like all of it. Why like it, not yeah. change anything? No, no, that's the ideal. The whole Hare Krishna festival, I yeah. think, you know, that'll that'll be the ideal is if everything going on, book distribution, prashadam distribution, harinam, a drama. <laughs> yeah. So this is so I guess just to finish my point, you know, the point is that that evolution of Sankirtan some of the things that I'm remembering from a conversation is that there was this development of, you know, developing of ourselves, developing that integrity in ourselves, right? Mm. Developing, you know, and that, that looks like trust, you know, being, mm. being, giving people an opportunity to grow in their trust so that they can mm. acquire. So mm. that shraddha, they can have shraddha that I ha I want to have sadhu sangha from, I have some faith because I'm seeing this person day in, day out, or however often I'm seeing them, and I'm, I'm getting some faith. I trust them, mm. right? which leads us further. Sadhu Sangha Bhajana Kriya on and onward. Mm. Um, so this aspect of, of, you know, integrity then being that, what am I doing with, with the mercy that I've received in my cup, mm. right? Within the knowledge and with the way that I've grown in my Sankirtan, right? Mm. Is that, you know, do I have that is there the integrity in that cup that I'm also then wanting to give to others because how could I wish for something for myself that I don't wish for others right that's incongruent right? yeah like I tell everyone else to chant dance and be happy but I'm not chanting dancing and I'm not happy yeah, <laughs> or, if, or if I want if I want Krishna Prema yeah but I don't want other living entities to have Krishna Prema yeah it's, that's, that's the I think that's the purport to the the Denikasura pastime. The ass demon, he represents, I have these fruits and they're only for me. Mm. You know, it represents that ass-like mentality of not wanting to share the fruits of of, of bhakti, the, the fruits of prema. Mm. You know, so yeah, if I'm relishing bhakti, but I don't want to give it to other people, I don't want others to have it. Mm. It's the Daniel Kasura mentality. Don't yeah. be an ass. Don't be an ass. <laughs> okay. Thank you so okay, much. Yeah. Right, Thank Shams. you, Prabhu. I'm, All right, Krishna. Uh, I'm deeply grateful for this conversation and uh, I I want to have more of these. I think I think when we go back and listen to this, there's going to be a few other conversations that will bud from this uh, very fruitful discourse. 
Um, thank yeah, you thank you for giving me a chance to uh, go back into my own journey of Sankirtan and sort of remembering key moments and being able to express. I've never, I've never actually spoken about it like this in such a concise, well, not so concise, but in a sort of sequential fashion. So I really appreciate you giving me the chance to kind of put together my story in life. So thank you for that. Yeah, I'm excited. I got, I got new details in that unfoldment. <laughs> There's some new details in there that I was appreciating. Okay. Well, Thank you so much for listening to Sangatanan podcast. We are here uh, really trying to hold that focus on how inspiring of a service Sankirtan is. And I think this conversation aptly uh, you know, spoke to that, the, the evolution and how our relationship with Sankirtan evolves uh, as, as we evolve as devotees. So thank you so much for listening. Um, we'll be with you next time. Thank you again for listening to Sankirtan On. Please feel free to subscribe and share with your friends for regular updates and inspirational stories on how, by giving, we grow. Thank you for sharing this time with us. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.